Welcome back in listeners to another fun-filled episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a full house today and an exciting, exciting festival to share with you. We will be speaking with several members involved with the Spark Theater Festival. This was formerly known as the New Work Series, and it's running March 6th through the 26th at the 28th Street Theater, also known as Tada Theater. Joining us, we have Paul Adams, the co-founder and artistic director of Emergent Artist Theater. We have Jermaine Rowe, who is the writer, performer, and composer of the show Transition. And we have writers Denise Demerkert and Ella Sodam, who are both the writers of Echo, a musical quest. Everyone, welcome in to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. So glad to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We, uh, Like I said, we have a full house. This is amazing. I am excited to learn about this festival because I remember hearing of it when it was formerly the New Work series. But I mean, I'm sadly, I will admit I have not been to it, but this piques my interest as I'm kind of making the festival rounds coming off of the Frigid Fringe. And I'd love to know more. And I'd love to let our listeners know more. So, Paul, why don't I start with you and have you tell us a little bit more about the Spark Theater Festival? Sure. We started the festival about 10 to 15 years ago. And it was an opportunity for artists to come in wherever they were in their process and put their work up before an audience. And then afterwards have a dialogue with that audience with specific questions to help them move their work forward. And uh, one of the things that I wanted most importantly was that the artists were not charged a fee to participate or to submit and that they actually get half the box office and to try to uh, support them as much as possible as we can with free rehearsal space. We take care of the theater space, we print the program, we provide the staff to try to let them have the freedom of their creativity and not have to worry about the pressures of producing. That is amazing. Oh my gosh. You really, oh my gosh, you were doing God's work with that. Thank you. Now I want, we, we like I mentioned, we've got two of the shows from the Spark Theater Festival joining us. So I want to let them tell us a little bit about their shows, starting with Jermaine. Jermaine, you, of course, is the writer, performer, and composer of the show Transition. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your show? Sure. First, I'm excited to be a part of the Spark Theater Festival, formerly the Emergent Arting Theater Festival. And this is my second time in the festival, about 10 years ago when I decided to just test my hand at theater making and being a generative artist. This was a space that welcomed me and it gave me a chance to start my journey as becoming a you know, part of what I think is a solution in theater by creating more diverse exploring work. And this space gave me that opportunity. So coming back this year, I'm very, very excited to be a part of the 30th anniversary season, but also to create a work that has been in my heart for a really long time. So Transitions looks at an inciting incident that happened in, I'm Jamaican born, I've lived in New York for 20 years and performed full-time on Broadway, off-Broadway, a very eclectic career. And this particular work for me wanted to explore the life of an inciting incident in Jamaica, which was a trans teenager who was killed for going to a dance event dressed in female presenting clothes. And so a lot of the work I do is layered within the folklore of uh, Afro-Caribbean narratives. And so I decided I'm not, I can't tell the story necessarily of the trans identity story. That's not my journey. But what I could do as an artist is to use a folklore to explore who has access to life or death. And so I'm inviting audience into what's called a nine-night, which is a Jamaican folklore ritual where 
after somebody passes, a community comes together to celebrate. And I think every culture has that. Some people call it the repast. Some people call it the wake. In Jamaica, it's called the nine night. And it happens nine nights after the person has died, the day before their burial. And in this community, in my work, I'm exploring, does this life deserves a ritual of death? And so what I'm using the work to do is to explore the dramaturgical structure of Afro-Caribbean folkloric stories around death, which is not to scare you, but to ask the flip perspective on who has access to death, who has access to life. And using that work, so it's a one-person show, and I use monologues to explore the community's uh, conversations around this. I use dance to explore this, this lingering spirit in the space that is not yet transitioning because we're waiting for the approval of the community to say, yeah or nay, you're allowed to go to the land of the dead. dead. And then I'm using a folkloric character that I created called the Key Man, which is like westernized the fairy person who takes you from uh, life over to death that helps you through that transition. And I'm using that space to do it. And I'm inviting audiences into experiencing what is that ritual in Jamaican folklore. So I'm also trying to create an immersive space. And this theater festival is allowing me to go, how do I invite an audience into, which is what I love about the theater festival. It's going, it's an emerging theater space. It's for you to come and test an idea out and see how it works as a young artist. So I'm saying to audiences, how can I invite you into a Jamaican folkloric ritual? So in doing that, I'm collaborating with like a hairstylist who is gonna be probably in the in, in the lobby combing hair as you walk in and a somebody who is making soup as you come in because when you step into the folkloric space in Jamaica, when you go to a nine night, there's food, there's there, there's there, you literally walk into the yard of someone who is no longer with us and the family kind of welcomes you. You have this massive kind of celebration. And in contemporary time, that space is now with a live DJ. So I'd have a live DJ on stage who's gonna be helping me transition in and out of characters and inviting people into this space to experience that cultural practice and asking the question, who deserves life? Wow, what an incredible story and, I, and a, an important and timely story as well. So that, that sounds amazing. Denise and Ella, I wanna bring you on with your show, Echo, A Musical Quest. Could you both tell us a little bit about your show? Yeah, of course. So I'm Dennis. I'm from Turkey and I wrote most of the words in the book. And I'm Ella Sotamyan. I wrote music. And Echo first came out of our desire. It was originally meant to be a video game musical where it's inspired by the Greek mythology of Echo, who is a nymph that gets cursed by Hera, gets her voice stolen, and she can only repeat back the words that someone says to her, hence the word Echo. And our story focused more on what happens to her after her voice gets stolen. Because in the myth, it's like, well, she lost her voice and then she died. Like, And we were more curious about like, okay, but like, so what happens? So we wanted to focus on that journey of like her finding her voice again. But to us, like learning to speak up can have multiple different ways. Like it can mean something different to everyone. And that's why we wanted it to be a game where like players can make different choices and have Echo discover different ways of communicating herself. For this festival, we took like one route from the game and we adapted it to the stage to see like how well that route stands on its own. But yeah. Ella, did you want to add anything else to that? Yeah. Also, uh, what why what um I love this project because when I was young, I only knew Echo as a part of the love story, Narciss Narcissus and Echo. 
I never thought of her as individual like, important character. But once we started um, developing the story, I realized Echo is really like I would love to um, develop Echo like with our fiction, with our storytelling. That's amazing. So two incredible, great stories we've got here. And they obviously have a common thread. They're in the Spark Theater Festival, which brings me back to Paul. Paul, before I get to how how these these great stories, you know, kind of found their way into the festival, I want to ask, how did you come up with the idea for this particular kind of festival? I had met a lot of artists who didn't have anywhere to develop their work. And people don't realize how long it can take to develop a work. I actually developed two pieces myself through the series, one that took five years and another one that took seven years because you know I worked on it twice a year when we did the series. But the audience component to me was the most important thing because you're able to sit there and really ask specific questions to the audience and things that you thought might have landed one way, you find out land another way. And it, it completely helped me rewrite the work over and over again until I got to a place where I felt that it was it was ready to move on to another place. And we have we had 175 submissions for the spring, and we had to narrow that down to 60 artists. So we present 60 over three weeks. It runs seven days a week, multiple performances a day. And all of the pieces that we chose had a unique voice and a unique idea and something that we wanted to help them bring to the stage. And we've been doing this now for 15 years, but it, it progressed. It started as just for musicals and for female solo work. And then we added male solo work, then we added plays, and then we added dance about five years ago. And it, it's, it's my favorite thing that we do because every night is a different artist, a different voice, and there is nothing that is similar to anything out of the 60 pieces. I love that. What a great thing to have exists in the city where you could go back to the venue every night and you never know what you're going to get. It's something different every night. That's 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 what theater is. That's what theater should be. <laughs> so as I mentioned, we've got these two great shows joining us, Echo and Transition. Two different shows, two brilliant shows. How did you know how how do you develop the festival? How do you pick shows like these great artists to be in your festival? A lot of it, well, I read all the submissions because I love reading things and I love something that grabs my attention that also has a unique subject matter. Something like, oh, I don't know anything about this. You know, this interests me where it takes a unique view on a subject or a situation. And, and it's hard sometimes because sometimes we have 90 pieces and I like all of them and I have to narrow it down to 60. And so then I look at which artist has performed recently and who hasn't had a chance yet to ever be on stage or to ever have it before an audience. And usually I go with those people who've not had the opportunity because if someone's just done something two months ago, then they've already had you know, an opportunity. So I'd rather give it to those people who have never had it. And we've had a lot of artists who've never ever done their work before an audience before. And to me, that's one of the most exciting things. We had a woman once who was, uh, sorry, I'm going to get emotional. She was in the back of the house and she was crying when her show was on. And she said, you're the only person who ever responded to me after I sent it out to like 30 or 40 theater companies. And it's those moments that make, that just make it so magical for me and um, makes it really worth spending 30 years of my life doing this. 
That is amazing. I want to shift back to our wonderful artists and ask them about what it has been like to develop their work. And I want to start with our amazing team from Echo, Dennis and Ella. Tell us what it's been like developing Echo. Okay, excited and hectic. <laughs> As we have had, we have too many matters to focus, such as disability, sexual harassment, trauma, and being oppressed. And also since our main character is cursed to only repeat the last words someone says to her, we had to come up with a rule that shows a clear distinction between her internal and external moments. For me, that gave me quite a headache, but I love how it turned out. <laughs> yeah, Ella has been so patient with me, like trying out different things and like being very experimental with the book and lyric writing. I, I'll just, yeah, she's just so sweet because I will change things like last minute and like throw it her way. I'm like, I'm like, sorry, like do it, do it. And she's like, of course. So I don't deserve her, but yeah, development has been great. Like this was our thesis project in NYU for the graduate musical theater writing program. So it had a reading there as part of our like graduation, but this is the first time it's being developed outside of an educational setting. So we're really excited. It's amazing. Congrats to both of you. Thank you. Jermaine, tell me about developing transition. Well, transition in itself, you know, sometimes the work comes at you before you're even ready for the work as a creative artist. So transition was one of those shows that I did. I I, I was avoiding for a while because it was a scary work. It was a scary work because the subject matter is so important. And it was a scary work because you're putting yourself out there to talk about something that's really important. And so for two years, I didn't, I would just jot down in my notebook, okay, this little idea that I have. And um, when COVID happened and the world paused and theater was doing that whole, well, how do we re-emerge? And a lot of um, artists were talking about being Black and queer and othered in the space. There was a huge necessary conversation that I remember thinking I don't know if I'm ready yet to step back into the theater space if the conversation is not really being had in a healthy way. And so what I decided to do, which is what I, when I first went to Emerging Artist Theater, was to continue my exploration as a generative artist and decided to pick the work up. And I remember one day, which was hilarious, that I decided to, okay, if this work, I'm supposed to do this work, I need a sign for me to see this work. And then I ran into Paul. <laughs> that, that same day and I was like hey Paul I remember you at a festival like what's going on and he's like just apply submit and I was like okay okay I guess I need to do this so I, it started there it started knowing that there was a space in New York City because I was familiar with the Emerging Artist Theater 10 years prior I knew that there was a space that would not charge me right now financially because coming out of COVID as an artist I was broke I had no money to develop an idea I had no money to go to studio to pay to find rehearsal studio and time and I was applying for grants and you know how grants are in New York City that's hard to get and so um, a part of it was I what made the idea developing the idea worthwhile was I knew that there was a space that also could provide me with the opportunity to present it to have feedback and so that was a part of the process. Then I went into, when I, once I kind of released that, going, okay, there is a space that wants to see work I'm creating, I started to research. A lot of my work, I mean, I studied this in grad school, I went to Sarah Lawrence, and I have this very specific practice of how I approach work. And so I just started, I'm huge on research. I took the first year to research, 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 research. 
and then started to write and create and then collaborate with. So one of the organizations I'm collaborating with is this organization Connect JA that helps trans youth in Jamaica and in New York to use Voguing as a platform to tell their stories, to use ball, the ballroom scene to explore who they are. So I started to research and collaborate through them and through spaces because a story is so important. I didn't want to just create a work for the sake of creating a work. I wanted to make sure I was representing authenticity, but also finding my artistic way on it. So a huge part of it right now is me in the studio a lot with my team, just testing ideas. Like after this, I'm running to rehearsals to just like test some ideas out with, and um, because a part of it is as the gift of the Emerging Artist Theater, coming with specific questions that you want to ask the audience after you show the work. Hey, this is the idea I'm testing based on this. What you know, So kind of like, that's what's been, this process has been for me. And it's terrifying. It's always terrifying to put up your, your brainchild, your work in front of an audience. But I think on a, a festival like this, which is what I like about the festival, it invites lovers of theater to be the audience. So the audience is often filled with people who like emerging ideas, who are not coming to see this complete finished product, but who are interested in the inner working of process. And I think that kind of audience is exciting to me because you're like, oh yeah, you get that this is supposed to be, and which is why this podcast is dope because I think a huge part of your audience also are people who want to get a part of the intrinsic part of beyond what we see as the end result. What is the process? What makes the thing work? And this is what that that transition has been me just embracing. This is supposed to be process. This is supposed to be process. This is supposed to be process. Yes, absolutely. So we've got a lot of really important stories being told. And at the helm of it, we've got, you know, Paul up there <laughs> curating these 60 great works with wonderful stories. I want to ask all of you, what is the message or thought you're hoping audiences take away from your works or from your festival. And I want to start with Jermaine. I want to stick with you with transition. What is the message or thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from? That we should have the space to have layered conversations about identity, that we should allow ourselves to come to the table, to be willing to have difficult conversations about who we are. And that it's okay to then at the end of that difficult conversation, come together and dance come together and eat some food, come together and share in a space that is healing is hard work. And I think I'm trying to invite all, I mean, a lot of my work is thought pieces. I'm trying to invite audiences to, into difficult layers of conversation beyond gender lines of pro gender pronouns or physical bodies. I want to say, can we see each other from a soul level? Who, who's your spirit be? What's your dreams, your goals, your aspirations? Can we start seeing each other from that lens? And if my show invites you from a specific narrative to give you a space of seeing yourself, that you can heal yourself, I'm. that's kind of always been the kind of work I'm interested in creating, a conversation or layered conversations to have us have more access into all of us knowing that there's enough space for all of us to be ourselves. Oh, that's wonderful. Ella, what about you? For about echo to anyone who has felt hopeless in their life or trapped discouraged i hope this gives them um, courage that there are a lot of ways to communicate and express themselves that's also beautiful dennis i'd love to hear your thought as well on, on the show echo what is the thought or uh, message you hope audiences take away very similar to Ella, it's anyone who has felt that their voice has been stolen or threatened, 
to have the courage to speak up and like have the confidence to like yeah not let that be stripped of you you may not be able to speak up in the form you were maybe originally planning to or but there are always ways to advocate for yourself I think so that's I hope it gives people the confidence to do that and rounding us out we have Paul now Paul you don't have just one show you have 60 (laughs) but you have one festival what are you hoping that audiences will take away or or the message that they take away from the festival I think just to come and hear all the different unique voices that are out there and the immense creativity and individual creativity that each artist brings every night, because nobody is similar in the way they work or in their thought process or how they may present a work. And that's why one of the the tenets of the festival is that any of the artists can come and see any of the other evenings for free. You know, they can immerse themselves in all of the work that's going on. And through that, we've had people that have ended up working together by going and seeing each other's work, which is great. So, and we also encourage people to bring their their work back. You know, they take the feedback, they rework it, and they bring it back again. And then they get to have, you know, another audience discussion about what they've rewritten. And so it's an ongoing process because you, you don't present it once and then it's done. This is one step in where it's going. And at some point you as an artist will realize, okay, I feel like this is where it is now and I'm ready to really put it out there. And so now that COVID is somewhat in our past, we are now starting again this fall to go back off Broadway and we're doing four pieces from last year that will run in rep for eight weeks. So the artists get to have a long run and and they're all at that point now where they're like, we're ready now. We've gone through the development and we're ready to actually put it up and then see how it does in the long run. That is but, um, amazing. Because everyone works so hard on stuff. And I've seen artists who've worked on something. And then, in fact, I just saw one last night. She came to see something and she said she had a musical she'd been working on. She'd done it twice in the series. But she just realized that for some reason, people weren't connecting to the material. And so she's now working on a new project that has got her very excited and she's put the other one on a back burner for a while and I said sometimes things are just cyclical you know things go in waves and sometimes a subject matter suddenly becomes the next thing the next year or you know so never ever dispose of your work but you can set it aside and let something that now kind of garners your attention you know take control of your body and see where that takes you that is a great Great lesson to pass on to young artists as well. If it doesn't work out the first time, don't worry. Don't worry. Just let it stew for a while. Sometimes it's got to marinate and simmer. (laughs) Well, and one of the other things that I really impressed on the artists is that this is for you to create. We don't want you to feel any pressure. It's all about you to enjoy the process, not to be worried, not to be. So we try to take all of those elements that they would have to worry about so that they can just focus on their work. And, and make it something joyful and not something where it's like, oh my God, we can't, because they can present wherever they are in their process. They can be on book completely. They can be half on, half off. They can be off. So it's wherever they are in their process is what we want them to present so that they feel comfortable, relaxed, and enjoy you know, what they present. Well, the last question I want to ask in this first part, uh, and I'm going to start with you, Paul, which is who do you hope have access to the festival? I hope that other artists who love new work 
and the audience that loves new work. But specifically, I actually like to have the artists be more of the audience, along with outside people. But just to have the artist see the creativity that's going on out there. And because a lot of people who come and attend it then go, oh, you know what? I think I have something in me I might be able to develop. And it's like, great, submit it, bring it in, you know, work with it. And, and it's just giving them that, that sense of freedom and also that someone will be there to support them and not to be afraid, you know, because, you know, we all put our work up and we all are judged one way or another by people who see it. But if we never put the work up, then, you know, we're never going to know whether it's going to affect anyone else as the way it affects us. Jermaine, what about you? Who do you hope have access to your show, Transition? Well, first and foremost, I want the audience that I'm speaking to in the show, like a trans queer Black community, <laughs> to see themselves represented in theater. Um, so I want that audience to be there. But of course, theater has always been for everyone. I want everyone to have access to it. I think the more specific you are with storytelling, the more it reaches further. That's what I've come to find out. So in, in, in secondary to that, I do want everyone to see the work, artists, people, but I want hugely that the community that I'm speaking about that I feel hasn't had enough storytelling about their lives that is diverse and unique, not just trauma based on their experience. I want that space to say, we can talk about this conversation and dance and eat and relax and enjoy and laugh because although the subject matter is heavy, I'm using a lot of humor and music and dance to kind of invite people into a conversation. So I want that that body that I'm speaking about, the queer community, the Black queer community, the Black trans queer community, that is so right now politically manipulated and being used for so many things <laughs> that they, they there's a space that they can go, oh, there is a space that's representing. Because I also want their feedback to say, am I being representative enough when I'm creating work about that community? Am I also... I want to be also held accountable to make sure I'm representing, honestly, that story as well. Oh, that's so well put. I love that. Coming around to Echo. Uh, Dennis, I'll start with you on this. Who do you hope have access to your show? I think it's tied to the what kind of message you want to send question. But anyone who has felt that their voice is not important enough to be heard or whether that was because of their family, because of their government, because of any kind of circumstances they had. I hope they have access to this show and all the other shows in the festival too. Oh, that's a great answer. Love that. And then wrapping us up, Ella, who do you hope have access? Similar, um, anyone who needs courage to speak up, but also anyone who wants something special in stage reading because Dennis drew beautiful illustrations we are using projector and she should some footage video footages and for me it's extraordinary i've never seen stage reading having um illustration thank you for the shout out that's so sweet I want to shift everything now, a little less on the work and a little more on the artist. I want to let our audience get to know all of you a little bit better. 
And I want to start by asking you all, you know, what works composers, playwrights have inspired you or or maybe you love? Ella, can I start with you on that question? Yeah, I so I love musicals that had long process to Broadway or that had endured rough process to Broadway. Like Hadestown, Hamilton, like Hadestown, it took 15 years to the Broadway. Hamilton, six, seven years. And I have something rotten because they wrote 50 songs in total and countless rewrites. But in the end, um, they ended up using 18 of them. But they wrote 50 songs. Paul, uh, what about you? I have to say, I saw Company a year ago. And I saw it a long, long time ago. And I wasn't, it's never been one of my favorite musicals. But then the direction and the set came together to create a world that I will never go see the show again because it will never be that good. And it was that combination of, I guess, the trust between the director and the writer and composer that they took this piece and made it something that to me was a a great theatrical event that I just applaud that. And again, it was something that they worked on. And a lot of people will have to realize that the work takes time. It's not something that you can do it and it's like, okay, I'll have it ready for you in three months. Because if if you do a lot of the stuff I think that that happens with, doesn't last and ends up fading away much quicker than the things that people really collaborate on. And I love pieces where the collaboration is so clear because you don't, you don't see one person over another. You see the whole thing together as one piece. Oh, that revival was so good. Dennis, what about you? I have so many. Oh my God. <laughs> my favorite musical is Next to Normal, a music by Tom Kitt and words by Brian Yorkey. Uh, just seeing it, I felt very like heard and seen, like seeing like a dysfunctional family on stage and like how they kind of work through their mental health issues. Like it was very touching to me. Other than that, I really love uh, Lynn Nottage. Uh, her play Intimate Apparel is my favorite play of all time. I saw the opera and it was just like, yeah, I can't even describe it, but it was so beautiful. Other than that, I'm really inspired by like video games and like video game music. I really like Darren Korb, who does music for Supergiant Games. They're like games that incorporate a lot of musical elements and like tell a story, almost like musical theater, which kind of inspired Echo too, but Yeah, I like different mediums, like kind of mixing together like that. So I think those are very cool. Jermaine. Yeah, before I jump into that point, then it's like, um, I think this year was the first year that they had musical, I mean, music, video, game, music, composers nominated for Oscars or no Grammys. Right. Yeah, I think this was the first year that they did that. So I'm a huge fan also of video game compositions. I'm very eclectic. I mean, I think a lot of the things that inspire me are things I've done as an artist, but also, like, I'm a huge fan of Beethoven. I've listened to Beethoven a lot. I think he's genius. I love Einstein. <laughs> I love the mind. So I read a lot of Einstein's theories and stuff. I, do, I love minds who are at the forefront of how can I shift the pendulum? How can I? So I love reading about people who, in their time, 
shifted conversation. So like Einstein and Beethoven. And comes to, I'd also love Dan. So like anything on Alvin Ailey or Dante of Harlem, like Dugla, Jeffrey Holder. I love the, that kind of work. I was born in Jamaica, so I'm inspired a lot by the music of Bob Marley and uh, the National Dance and the Company of Jamaica. When it comes to opera, I'm a huge fan of that too. So I go to a lot of those and experience that. And I was very fortunate to have worked and developed Fela which was done by Bill T. Jones. And so being in that process when we're developing it for National Theatre in London also gave me a chance to watch Bill T. Jones uh, create ideas and throw things in the room. And kind of watching that space come together, I was inspired by, and to the Lynn Nottage, working on one of her plays as an actor, Malima's Tale as Malima, kind of watching the intricate work ways up. Uh, so I've been in the room with people who I look up to, but I watch them inviting us in a very intimate way in their process as well so I'm inspired by those experiences and I think that's what excites me about the work is I can see beyond the end result the process stuff and if you honor that process in the space and you know loving um, what Ella talked about like a work that takes 15 years like a Hades time to get where it is for me, it's the 15 years that is exciting. What is happening in that in-between and honoring that space are the things that excites me about, the, the things that inspire me when I investigate work. Oh, I love all that. I want to ask, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Dennis, I'd like to start with you on that. I think my favorite aspect is the community. Like it really takes a village to put on a play from producing to design to writing to actors like it's all people coming together with purpose like for the same purpose together and I really love that helpful yeah environment. Paul how about you? To me it's a collaboration because I can have an idea and I can bring in a director and I can bring in an actor and we start going in one direction and then suddenly something clicks and somebody says something and it's like, you know what, let's try. And then the whole thing can change and move. And that whole flexibility and fluidity, and it just, to me, it's an incredible process. And the rehearsal and the collaboration that lead to the end result is the process that I love the most. Ella, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Same collaboration. I love witnessing witnessing all the talent merging into one. That's why I love Hadestown, because I can see that everyone works so hard. It feels really tight. And I think whenever I was in the theater uh, community, everyone brought something new on the table. So being in a the theater community makes me like grow significantly fast. That's my favorite part. Yeah. And Jermaine. Absolutely collaboration. That's the Arthur Mitchell used to say to us back in the day, the work is bigger than you. And when we a group of people come together to make a, something that's bigger than the individual, that's fantastic. But I genuinely also love that moment performing and when the whole room is breathing together. You get an entire group of people together to breathe together, to be present in a moment that only exists right there and then. There's something very, especially in a world that is so isolated in our phones and devices and the theater spaces say, let's come together and let's for like lose ourselves in whatever duration this is and be present. And when that click happens and the entire room actually is together, there is there's something magical about that moment that happens where it's just, we're breathing together, we're here, we're experiencing together. And we're choosing to be in this space and share. 
that the reciprocity of an audience relationship because it doesn't happen if you don't have people who want to come and also see the work the work could be amazing in a corner by itself but having an audience in the space together to also in, be in that space with you i think we recognize was missing in covid and that for me i'm relishing that every moment that i yearn in front of an audience sharing your ideas your thoughts your explorations with a collaboration of multiple teams of people that that is also a very important part that I I love about what I do. Well, I feel like our regular listeners already know what's coming next. My favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Ella, can I start with you on that? Is that okay? Yeah. So my favorite theater memory is when I was theater baby. I I started with jazz. And then I shifted to musical theater in college. Dennis and we both went to Berkeley College College of Music in Boston. And my favorite theater mem- memory is when my song was selected for to to get performed at annual um, musical theater songwriting contest. And I had no rhyme in the lyrics. It was <laughs> awful, awful lyrics. No rhyme. I didn't know how to write rhyme because I w- I just started. So I focused on the story, but it got selected and my roommate orchestrated. So that was my favorite. That's yeah. amazing. Congrats. Dennis, how about you? I think my favorite memory is seeing the movie musical Mamma Mia for the first time when I was young. <laughs> and, and because the impact, like the trajectory of my life before Mamma Mia and after Mamma Mia is like, and I remember in middle school, like me and my friends would like dress up in feather boas and like try to like recreate the scenes. <laughs> and then the world tour happened uh, where Mamma Mia came to Turkey and I got to see it live. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like the difference between on screen versus on stage. And like both are such valid forms and so entertaining for like, that's kind of the moment when I realized, oh, I want to be in this industry. So that's my favorite. I love that. Paul, what is your favorite theater memory? I think it has to be when we finally got our own space on 42nd Street. And it was a five flight walk up. It only had 50 seats, but it was ours. And uh, we created a space and uh, we were there for about a year and then we got a victim. But, you know, and then we moved on to the next space. But just being there and saying, this is ours and we don't have to follow somebody else's schedule. We can make our own schedule. It was good for that year and a half. That's amazing. Oh, but now I I just feel like you're in a nicer theater. I love that you're at the 28th Street Theater. Yeah, it would be nice to have our own space because I think Tada's lease is up in another year. So I don't know what's going to happen there. But I'm working on trying to find a way to create the first off-Broadway performing arts center, which I'm amazed there is no, where 15 theater companies, five dance companies can have a permanent home with four 99-seat theaters, a cabaret space, a benefit space, 12 rehearsal rooms, an office space for everyone. And we would own the building. So there would be no chance of ever getting evicted. Okay, let's all put that out in the universe. It needs to happen. And then everyone go buy Powerball tickets while we're at it. That's what I do every day. Let's do this because, oh my gosh, that needs to happen. Well, bringing us home, Jermaine. Hey. What is your favorite theater memory? It's funny. I was thinking because, you know, there's so many favorite theater memories, but I can remember the one that I was in Jamaica. Uh, So in in high school, I have a really cool group of friends. We used to go see a lot of stuff together in Jamaica. 
And so then the company in Jamaica called the National Dance Theater Company of Jamaica. And they do, they, they tour, they do a lot of really cool things. But one of the things that they do is the, they explore folkloric works on stage through dance. And I just remembered there's a folkloric dance called Gere, Gere Benta, which is I use in the show, exploring life and death in the work. And I remember at maybe 16, sitting down in the audience and this dance started to happen. And for the first time in my life, I could not keep still. I could, I wanted to get up. I, I felt myself moving around in my chair. There was something that was saying, you need to get up. You can't like, I'm not looking around going, is it allowed to get up and move? Because I felt there was the, some, the stage was, the, the movement, the exploration, the storytelling was so powerful, I could not keep still. And I literally got up out of my seat and I went to the back of the house and watched on the back of the house because I just felt like I couldn't, I, something was happening on stage that was magical, that was pulling me out of my seat. And that was the moment I decided to, I wanted to be a part of a space that was, that would keep, but would want make audience get up and move or um, create theater that makes people feel so visceral that they can't keep in their seat that is calling to them from a different space so I go I always go back to that moment because I still don't understand the magic that was happening in my body I was watching something that was so magical that spoke into me that also I saw myself represented in so many ways I was inspired I remember days afterwards which I think the gift of good theater does it makes your imagination just grows like you you're you're you're, you're thinking about things you're you are seeing yourself beyond, you get vision of things and you get inspired. And that was, I remember that inspiration. I was so inspired, I stood up. That kind of experience, I think I always want to hold on to and try to be a part of. I want to inspire people so much that they get up out of their seats without even wanting to, because breaking what theater is like, yeah, it, you might have to get up in this moment and shake it out. That's a part, and that's a part of the welcome truth. It might touch you so much. Like I think of the work that uh, Ella and Dennis are creating. Like you might feel so called to speak out in that moment because you're not empowered in this moment to say something. That for me is what is was my favorite theater moment. Thank you all for sharing those amazing memories. They were great. Are there any other? projects or productions that any of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Uh, let me start with Dennis and Ella with Echo first. So after this staged reading, we're we're planning to develop the game, but it, it's in progress. The game version of Echo? Yeah, uh, but we have a YouTube channel named as Echo Musical Quest, and we uploaded three RPG videos, um, which was created in our grad school, NYU Tisch grad school. Very cool. Dennis, was there anything you wanted to add or just that? I have something completely unrelated to Echo if you want. Yeah, no, no, that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I also, uh, there's this organization called Maestra that I really love because they do a lot of good work to uplift women and non-binary like theater creatives. And my organization that I founded with my friend called Multicultural Theater Makers, we have this ongoing collaboration with them where once every two months we publish an article exploring what musical theater looks like in a different country. So like each article focuses on like a, the unique, like a different country. Yeah, sorry. I'm, but we've published articles so far on Japan, Iran and the article on Greece is coming soon, but the way we do it is we find artists from those countries or from those like nationality 
and then we interviewed them about like how they found theater, how they became a part of this industry and like what are good representation and bad representation of their culture. And then we published those articles. So if you go to Maestra's webpage, you can find it on their blog. Amazing. Jermaine, how about you? Yeah, I have a few projects coming up. Of course, I'm going to do what Paul suggests after transition. I might let it ruminate for a second and see what what breathes from that. I have another project coming up that I've been commissioned to create called Standpipe, which looks at a community when a community loses a communal space like a watering, like the state Standpipe in Jamaica is where a community used to come together to get water. And when community loses common spaces of communing, what happens? I'm working on that for the summer. And then for the fall, I can't give too much yet because it's not yet fully public. But I'm a part of a developing new work that's going to be at the New World Trade Center Theater, uh, PAC, I'm collaborating with getting that up as associate director for that project. So that's going to be exciting that I'm really excited about. And then after that, my musical, The Children from Blue Mountain, which I've been working on, I hope to get another development workshop of that soon. So my, you know, I'm easily followed on social media, Jermaine Rowe and JermaineRowe.com. And those are the projects I'm working on for the next year. Amazing. And Paul, what about you? Well, we're looking forward to the fall where we're going to do our off-Broadway premiere of four plays that came out of the new work series. The Cleaning Guy, Doris Day, My Secret Love, Sex Work, Sex Play, and Anne Being Frank. And those are going to run in rep from Labor Day until October 29th at the 28th Street Theater. And then right when that closes, we go right into the fall Spark Theater Festival for another three weeks. So basically for three months, I'm going to be at 28th Street Theater. <laughs> so <laughs> setting up shot down there get your punch cards for your coffee <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my final question for you all is if our listeners want more information about your respective shows or festivals or maybe about you they want to reach out to you how can they do that and i'll start off with paul and the spark theater festival uh the best way is through the website which is emergingartiststheater.org and theater is an RE. It's on there about submissions. Submissions open April 1st for the fall Spark Theater Festival, and they close May 31st. Jermaine? Yeah, I mean, for, for the show, because at first I'd love to everyone who's listening to come see the show. It is through the website, newyorkseries.com, I think, or Emerging Artist Theater, as Paul said, RE, to get the information about the show. But I'm easily found in social media um, at Jermaine Rowe. And my website is germainrowe.com, which has all my information about my shows and coming in, in insights, but the show itself. And my show is going to be on March 20th at 7 p.m. It's a Monday evening. I created a Monday evening because I wanted my theater audience to come see it. So Monday, March 20th at 7 p.m. transition is going to be at 28th Street, uh, which is 28th and Broadway. So I'm very excited for that, which you can find the information again on the Emerging Artist Theater's website. Dennis, how about you? Sure. For the show, uh, like Jermaine said, it's on the website. Echo is going on March 21st at 7 p.m. So you can get the tickets from the website. And as Ella mentioned, we have a YouTube channel, Echo A Musical Quest, so you can keep up with the things we share on there. For my personal account, it's just Dennis Demirkurta on Instagram. And Ella. My Instagram is Ella S. Yoon, and I have a website, ellasodamyoon.com. And actually, I'll be recording one of my jazz songs in a few months. So I'll upload it in the website. So if you want to hear. Ella, Dennis, Paul, Jermaine, 
my gosh, thank you so much for joining me today and just for everything. This festival that is new to me, I not new at all to the city, but new to me sounds amazing. Your work sounds amazing. I appreciate you all sharing all of this with me, with my listeners. Seriously, thank you all so much for joining us. This is incredible. Thank you, too. Thank you for the opportunity. My guests today have been the co-founder and artistic director for Emerging Artist Theater, Paul Adams, the writer, performer, and composer of the show Transition, Jermaine Rowe, and the writers Dennis Demerkert and Ella Saddam of the show Echo, A Musical Quest, all who are part of the Spark Theater Festival, which is running March 6th through the 26th at the 28th Street Theater, also known as Tada Theater. You can get tickets and more information about all the shows and, you know, tickets for the shows at emergingartisttheater.org. And that's theater with an R-E. We also have a plethora of YouTube, Instagram, websites to follow these incredible artists and theater companies that we will get to you via the episode description as well as our social media. But the bottom line is, get your tickets now. There are 60 shows at this festival you don't want to miss. See them now before they become big, you know, so you can say you saw them when. And it's fun to see a show in the process of being developed, especially the two that we had on today, Transitions and Echo. You don't want to miss these two great shows. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep your masks on. Keep seeing theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>